All right, all right, all right. As you grab your seats, so this coming weekend, hey, there we go. This coming weekend is our Rooted Conference uh, that we're kicking off on family discipleship. And, and in order to kick that off, I wanted to bring in somebody who could particularly speak well on the subject of family discipleship. Uh, I met Rob Sumrall, uh, Dr. Rob Sumrall, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, gosh, I don't, 10, 10 years ago, maybe? Uh, when I was in E-Town, uh, serving as a youth pastor in E-Town, uh, he planted a church there called Crossroads Baptist Church. Uh, and while I was there, he was working on his doctorate in family discipleship. And so I thought, man, I don't know anybody better who would come and speak on this for us. And so uh, I hope you will listen to Rob, and I hope he will bless you. So come on, brother. You're on. Well, good morning. I just want to thank Pastor Brent for inviting me to preach in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio on opening day of NFL weekend when there's a home game against Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, who day? So, uh, yeah, so I appreciate that. I have known Brent for a long time and Darcy for a long time, and so uh, you guys better be happy the transfer portal is open because you brought them here, you know? And so I am, I am super thankful uh, that they are serving the Lord Jesus Christ here. I knew Brent back when he was a, a young youth pastor who didn't do much, know much of much. Now he's a, he, he's a medium pastor who knows a little bit more than much of much, right? <laughs> but, you know, I always knew that he wouldn't stay in Hardin County. Brent Wilson cannot be contained. Amen. Your, uh, your, your pastor is a good leader, and he is a good preacher, and it says much to me about the future God has for Fellowship Baptist Church that he brings him here to help serve with you guys. And I'm excited for the future for y'all. And it's my joy to be here with you today. So uh, let, me, let me say a quick word of prayer, and uh, we're going to turn towards God's word this morning. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I praise you, Lord, for your word. It is rich and it is good. I pray that today, as we, as we look at what your word says to us, that you would cause its truth to burn in our hearts. And Lord, we wouldn't be hearers of the word only, but Lord, you would help us to be doers of the word also. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to invite you to open up your Bibles this morning with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we're going to be in just a few moments as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about myself. This year I'm completing my 30th year in vocational ministry. I started when I was 11. No, I really didn't. Uh, but, uh, but I have been at it for a long time. The first 10 years I was in ministry, I was a student pastor. The second 10 years, I spent my time as a pastor who really was a student pastor trying to get people to not know that I was a student pastor. And the last 10 years, I've spent my life as a pastor who knew he was really a student pastor, who didn't care if people knew if I was a student pastor. I love young people. They bring life to us. They bring life to the church. I love old people, too. I just love people. And, and, but being around young people in the life of the church brings such vitality to us. Now, God just really blessed in the years where I was a student pastor. Today, 
um, I look back on those years, and because of God's blessing, not because of anything I did, there, there, there are multiple young men who are either serving in the mission field, a few of them are seminary professors at Southeastern Seminary, a couple of them are pastors, I've got some young ladies that are missionaries and pastors' wives, and God really blessed in the 10 years when I was uh, in student ministry. I'm just so thankful I, I, I get to, to have Facebook connection with these young people. They're, I say young people, they're grown adults now who are serving Jesus so faithfully. But you know, there were so many others who came through the same programming. They sat and they listened to the same sermons. They went to the same summer camps. They attended the same, uh, they attended the same Sunday school teachers' uh, classes. And many of them are just very, very far from God today. And that caused me a number of years ago to begin to rethink how the church approaches its ministry to young people. I began to think, what is the difference between this young man today who's on the mission field and this other young man who essentially did all the same things church-wise where their involvement level was essentially equivalent and this other young man who has all but denied the gospel? What what causes it? And, and you know what? God brought me down this path as I just began to think and ruminate on it. And I began to realize that the problem wasn't that we needed to fix how the church does ministry to age-graded people. Though some places that does need help. But the primary thing we need to fix is the home. The primary thing we need to fix is the home. The truth is, is that we have elevated... We have elevated the role of the church and the discipleship of our kids to a place I don't think God ever intended for it to be. We're going to talk about that, and I think I'm going to make the biblical case to you. Now, I want to apologize in advance if it may feel like I've got a gazillion quotes and statistics in parts of this message today. I do that because, because you don't know me. And so I'm trying to appeal to some experts to make a case so you can understand what I'm saying is true. And there is a problem that, frankly, we just need to have an honest conversation about. There's a sad state of affairs when it comes to spirituality in our families today. Massive studies have shown this, that more than half of parents never or rarely engaged in any sort of family devotional time. I want you to think about that. More than half of parents. That is a survey that was done of evangelical church homes. More than half of families said that they rarely or never engaged in any sort of family devotional time. Same survey, 40% of parents never, rarely, or only occasionally discuss spiritual matters with their children. 40% don't even ever have spiritual conversations with their kids. And these are church families. Nearly one in four parents never or rarely prayed with their children. 61% of spiritually disengaged young adults said that they were churched during their teens. Now I want you to think about that. 61% of, of young adults today who are disengaged spiritually were in your youth group. Does that not blow your mind? Does that not cause you to think, how do we fix this? Alvin Reed, who is in many ways the, the grandfather of student ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention, he's the founder of True Love Waits. He said this, 
this quote will, will, will shake you to the core. He says, it is obvious that youth ministry in, Mer- in America has not produced a generation of young people who are passionate about the church. Here's one of the four, foremost voices on family ministry, on student ministry, who's saying that what he has spent his life doing doesn't really work. Tom Rainer says, if trends continue, only 4% of the current generation of young people will stand for Christ. That is a massive shift. And as we rethink what it means for us to be in, in sort of the, the, the moral vortex that we're in, we have to ask ourselves, where do we go from here? Now, I, I sound like I'm Debbie Downer. You're like, Pastor Brent, why'd you bring this guy? He's just going to tell us how bad things are. Listen, I believe in grace. I drink from its fountain daily. I think we have to take the law and we have to take the grace and we've got to bring them together and we're going to find the gospel right there in the middle of that. So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's read this uh, together. I'm going to read it out loud. You read it uh, in your hearts. We're going to begin in verse 4. This is a passage of scripture that's referred to by good Jewish people as the Shema. Hear what the Shema says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. Now this passage of scripture was massively important to the Israelites. It still is very important even to to, to modern Jewish people. The Shema is... Uh, a de facto part of how they live their life daily. This passage was so important in their life that one commentator says this. He says, It is the essence of all of God's person and purposes in 16 words in the Hebrew text. This, one, another commentator said that this passage of Scripture functioned as their de facto pledge of allegiance. I want you to think about that, how we would pledge allegiance to the flag. This is how the, the, they, would, they would come together and they would, they would pledge themselves to God. For the Jew, this passage stood even higher than the Ten Commandments. Dwayne Christensen, in his commentary, writes, he says, In some respects, it can be argued that the whole book of Deuteronomy is simply a commentary on this one passage. Such an important passage of scripture for us. You know, think about it. When Jesus was asked, he was trying to be tricked. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What passage did he cite? This passage. He took him right here when he was asked that. What is the greatest commandment? Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Three times a day. Orthodox Jewish people recite this passage of Scripture because of what it says right there in the text. It says when you sit down, or rather when you rise up, when you lie down, when you sit down. So three times a day, in the morning, 
at lunch in the evening, this would have been a, a common thing that they would have cited. Think about that. They would cite this more than we brush our teeth. It was just as important as eating. We eat three times a day. They, they would cite the Shema three times a day. No, why, why the word Shema? The word Shema is the first word in Hebrew. It just means hear. Hear. Listen. Listen to what I have to say. Now look at the text at, at, at what he's calling us to in this. Now you'll notice that it follows a familiar passage for us in the Bible. Oftentimes we'll see in the writings of Paul that he'll begin with a statement of fact. We sometimes call that the indicative. And then he will lead from that statement of fact to a place of application in our life. We sometimes call that the imperative. So the indicative leads us into the imperative. His statement of fact is right there in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen guys, this is our God. Everybody else has many gods. We live in a polytheistic world. We have one God. Our God is unique among all the other gods. Our God is one. And then he moves from the indicative to the imperative. Because our God is one, that has ramifications. Because our God is different than the gods of the world, the so-called proclaimed gods of the world, we need to, to do some things. And so in verse 4, he begins with the first imperative. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Listen, I, don't, I, I think we, we, we nitpick too much when we say that these are three distinct things. What is he saying about how we love God? He's saying with everything you are, love God. There's not a part of your life that shouldn't say, I love God. Everything about you should ooze affection for our Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Now, it begins with you. That's the first imperative. But look at the next imperative in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And everything after verse 7 is talking about how we teach them diligently to our children. So it begins with God's uniqueness. God is unique and because God is unique that mandates that we love him with our whole person and also that we teach our children and future generations to love God with their whole person. This was central to how they lived their life. Listen, I love the church. I've given my life to the church. I've planted the church. I've helped plant churches on other continents. I intend to plant other, even future churches before God leads me to retire. I, I, I love the church. But you do realize that before God ever established the church, He established the family. The family existed before government existed. The family existed before the church existed. The family is an institution that we cannot afford to ignore. And so God calls us to inculcate our homes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, Shema, hear, listen. The, the idea of hear here doesn't just mean listen. It really means hear and do something. Kind of like what James 2.22 says, 
be doers of the word and not hearers only, thereby deceiving yourselves. So I'm here today to challenge us to be what I call D6 families, Deuteronomy 6 families. I look around, this is a multi-generational church, right? I see, I, I met somebody here, is here on their second week of life. They're probably the youngest person here, okay? Somebody's here on the second week of life, and then I look around, and, and we've, got, uh, we've got gray hairs and no hairs, and everything in between, right? That's good. That's healthy. It's healthy for us all to be here under one roof. That's what a good, healthy, and strong church looks like. It's multi-generational. And part of why it's good for us to be to, to, to be multi-generational is because we are reaching to a world around us and showing them the goodness of our God. Part of that means we're reaching into our own homes and the message that I share with my kids, you echo to them and the message that I share to your kids, you echo to them. We want to be D6 families, Deuteronomy 6 families that, that say, God, you, you've given this. Jesus said it was the most important commandment. How do we do this in our lives? So I'm calling you today. I believe that the, the, the intent of, of your ministry leadership team this coming week is to call you in this rooted conference, is to call you to be D6 families. I believe that that's what Ryan wants you to do. He wants you to be D6 families. So the question is, what is a D6 family? Let's quickly define that. I think it has three elements. Or, uh, as we look at this, we, we see that, first of all, a D6 family has a leader that loves God wholeheartedly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. There's leadership in that home that loves God wholeheartedly. Ultimately, the greatest qualification you can have to be a D6 family is that you love God. Loving God wholeheartedly, hear me well, does not require a seminary degree. It, it does not require special training. Any follower of Jesus Christ can cultivate a deep love for the Lord. Now, if you're going to love the Lord, I, I need to just pause here and say this. If you're going to love the Lord, you need to know the Lord. The gospel's already been proclaimed here today, but let me just real quickly say this. For sinful people, a sinless Savior died on a brutal cross. And He rose again on the third day. And if we will put our faith and our trust in Him and Him alone, then we can be the children of God. We say, God, I've tried living my life my way. It did not work. I know that you died to pay the penalty for sin. I know that you rose again on the third day. And I believe that that payment was sufficient pay the penalty for sin, and I want to live my life according to your standards out of affection for you. Listen, if you're going to love God, you better know God. And the D6 family has someone who is a leader who loves God wholeheartedly. Only when you're a follower of Jesus can you say with Paul in Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Have your children learned from you? 
The answer is obvious. Yes, they have. I guess the better question is, what have they learned from you? What if, what if your children, what if their spiritual potential was seen in your reflection? What if our kids prayed exactly the same amount that we prayed? Would they be healthy Christians? What if our children had the same passion for the Word of God that we have? Would they truly be passionate about the Word of God? What if our children wanted to share the gospel with their neighbors as much as we want to share the gospel with our neighbors? Would they be good examples of what it means to be the body of Christ? These are hard questions, aren't they? A little bit about my background. I was saved. I was, first, before I was saved, I was born. Okay, check that out. That's, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I was born to 17-year-olds out of wedlock. They were babies raising a baby. My dad was a good man. My mom became a Christian when I was about 10 years old. My dad didn't become a Christian until I was 25. I was raised in a home where, where the spiritual influence of my parents, frankly, was minimal. It was minimal. When I came to a place as, as a a father that wanted to be a godly father. I didn't look to an example I had before me. It didn't exist. Now, I don't say that to besmirch my parents. I just say it as a statement of fact. That example didn't exist. And so I had to kind of figure it out. What does it look like to really truly be be, be a person that loves God and invest in their kids. And I got to tell you, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Like one of the mistakes that I made early on that I had to learn is it doesn't look like that I'm, I'm conducting seminary courses in my house nightly. That's not what it looks like. It doesn't look like I'm preaching all the time. It doesn't. If I had to say in a word what it means for you to really be a D6 family, I would say this. It centers around intentionality. If you say, I am going to intentionally be a leader that loves God with my whole heart, and secondly, is committed to obeying God consistently. I'm going to commit to be that. I, I think that that is right. You think about Jesus. Jesus called to himself tax collectors, fishermen, he, he, just, just regular people. He called them to himself and they followed him. And so for three years, what did they see? They saw how he, how he prayed. They saw how he cared for other people. They saw how he, he taught. They saw his character. And he taught a lot about just being around people. Where does that happen more than in our homes? 
Jesus embodied what his disciples should be. As Christian parents, our task is in some way to embody the way the gospel lived out can be in the lives of our kids. And I want to, I want to be honest with you. I say that, and for, even for me right now, it is incredibly convicting. If that doesn't convict you, I'm not saying it well, or you're not listening well. But that is incredibly convicting. We must be committed to, to obeying God consistently. Deuteronomy 6, 5, Shema, obey the Lord. It reminds me of what John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. So a, a D6 family has a leader that loves God wholeheartedly, obeys God, is committed to obeying God consistently, and thirdly, teaches their children about God diligently. This is the emphasis, I think, of this sermon. How do we do that? I, I can offer some help with some suggestions, but first I need to ask an important question. Do we really want to do that? God gave me a, a sermon illustration I didn't want this week. I was in my office on Thursday. And uh, I was just doing some, some things that pastors do, you know, like eating fried chicken or something. That's what y'all think we do, right? No, I was actually working. And all of a sudden... My phone, sitting on the edge of my de desk, starts bzz, 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 bzz. I mean, it, it was insane. And in the course of about three minutes, I received 24 text messages. And none of them, it, I wasn't in a group chat. A message had gone out on the local school. On their little deal where they do the one call deal. Do y'all have one call up here where the, where the school administrator can send out a message and all the parents get it? The Elizabeth City Town City, the Elizabethtown City Schools were on lot were on quote unquote a soft lockdown because of a potential threat. Now Our hearts still break for places like Uvalde, Texas. I'm old enough to remember Columbine. Some of you guys old enough to remember that? I mean, this is no laughing matter, right? These are our babies. And this is real. The church phone's ringing off the hook. I later on talked to some friends of mine that were officers. They said, you would not believe how many people were blowing up our cell phones. And in the scheme of things, it honestly was a, we found out after the fact, it honestly was a very insignificant threat. It was a poorly worded message about a gas leak. But what happened to, to, to the hearts of every parent in a community in that moment? What do I need to do to get to my baby? What do I need to do to protect my child? Grandparents, parents, Facebook. Uh, the, the, I mean, we, we, we just went nuts. And we, you know what we did? We snapped into action. 
There's danger and we need to do something. My point is this. You don't need a one call. Your kids are in danger. The world is coming at them in ways that, that, that people my age could never imagine. Your kids are in real spiritual danger. I got a text message this past week from a grandmother in my church that said, Pastor, what do I need to do? My sweet granddaughter is a freshman at Western Kentucky University. She's taking a required health class, and on the syllabus of her health class, it says for her to complete an assignment, she has to do one of three things. It, it, now, this is a basic health class that has a unit on human sexuality. And here are her three choices. She can visit an adult bookstore. She can go to a, a drag brunch or she can go to a strip club and write up her reaction. Those are her three options. At a state-funded... And we're sending our kids here, church. And my, 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 my emphasis is we're sending them there many times unprepared. We, 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 get, we get a text message and we snap into action. Listen, I, I, I want to say it. I don't know how much more clearly I can say it. Your kids are in danger. Now, I guess the question is, are you going to snap into action? I think sometimes we like, well, I can't see that danger. I, I mean, I can see news reports. Listen, I shared the stats with you. They are walking away from the faith left and right. We have to decide, is eternity real? Is hell hot? And do we love our kids? And if so, it'll reorient some of our priorities. We need to recognize that if we're going to do that, there's some challenges we face. Now, I, I want to be honest. These challenges are real. we got to engage our kids for the gospel. Let me share with you some of what the common challenges are. First, I, I want to say that we often parent from our default mode. You know, if we were to go down to the Best Buy or to order off of Amazon a a, a new desktop computer. Does anybody even do that anymore? But if you were to order a new desktop computer and you were, to, you were to pull it out of the box, stick a wire in the back, plug it in the wall, plug in the keyboard, connect the mouse, it would work. It would, it would surf the internet. It would, it would open up word processing and data management things for you. But it would work in default mode. Now, if you wanted to do some high-end gaming or some high-end computing, you would have to go into those settings and you'd have to change those settings. And, and this is the word computer geeks use. You'd have to optimize your computer. See, here's the problem is that we all function from our default mode. And our default mode when it comes to parenting is how were we raised? And I'm telling you that I think that we need to optimize how we are raising our kids. Default modes can be altered. It just takes intentionality. Second, I think the second problem we face is that we have, we have embraced a leave-it-to-the-experts mentality. Now, I'm just curious out of the men here, okay? I, I love Ohio. I've been, I've been in and out of your community a lot over the years. My son played uh, very high-level soccer, and some of the best soccer in the United States is in Ohio. We played in the Buckeye League a couple of years, and we'd come up from Kentucky, and we'd play soccer up here. So I've been all around here. I've, I've sampled all the cheeses at Trader Jim's, 
I mean, I've, I, I've done it, right? It, it's what, what, Trader Joe's, yeah. Who, who's Trader Jim? I just made that up. Uh, jungle, thank you. See what I did there? Trader Joe's, Jungle Jim's. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I have walked, I have walked through the Porta John into the fancy men's restroom, okay? <laughs> I have done it, right? I love Ohio. And I know this, people in Ohio are tough because I've seen it on the soccer field, right? Sometimes I felt like we were bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. And so how many of you men in this room, by show of hands, I'm ask, actually asking you to raise your hand, and if it applies, ladies as well, I don't want to be sexist. How many of you still change your own oil? Okay, we've got about five weirdos in the room, okay, <laughs> right? The rest of us... And I, by the way, I call y'all weirdos, much respect, right? Much respect for you guys that change your own oil. But I'll be honest, for 27 bucks, I can cruise in, never even get out of my car. In 20 minutes, I'm done, and I'm out, and I'm not greasy, and it's done right. If I were to do it myself, it probably would cost $24, not 27 right? So I don't want to save that $3, and it would take me about, six hours to do it myself at this point in time, right? I mean, th there are things that in my life I am glad to let experts do. Experts can, experts can, can service my air conditioner and my heater, right? Some of you guys, an expert mows your lawn. You know, e experts change our oil. But listen, there are things that are too important to let an expert do, right? Today's my wife's birthday. She couldn't come with me this weekend. She's on call for her work, you know, but uh, I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm taking her. Baby, you better get ready. Put on your prettiest dress. We're going to the Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> Y'all know that's good steak. <laughs> We're going to go to the Texas Roadhouse, you know. I'm going I'm to get me that ribeye medium rare. Gnaw it down to the moan. Y'all are like, would you shut up? we got to go eat. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to take my wife out. I might even stop on the way home and get a bouquet of flowers from the Kroger. But let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to call somebody else and say, hey, it's my wife's birthday. I don't think I can get home. Can you take her to dinner, sir? You're like, no, you wouldn't do that. She wouldn't even want that. Like, that's, that's weird. Why is it weird? Because it's your job. Can, can I read Deuteronomy 6 to you again? A lot of us grew up in a generation where raising your kids to love Jesus meant that you drove up in the awning out here on the side of the building and you dropped them off on time for Sunday school. And you drove up on Wednesday nights and you dropped them off on time for student programming. You sacrificed and you gave some money so they can go to youth camp. And we, we, we thought, I think naively, I think I'm going to give us grace good-heartedly, we thought we were doing our jobs by doing that. When that's only a little part of our job. It, it, it's Listen, it's not some expert it's not their job to disciple my child God gave me that treasure 
He gave me that child. What is that expert here for then? Well, they come alongside and they say with, the, with a different voice the same things I'm saying. And they help me to know what to do when I don't know what to do. So that I can do my job, not so that they can do my job for me. That is radically different thinking that we need in the church today. We have often embraced a leave-it-to-the-experts mentality. It's easier to drop your kids off at, at church to a, a trained professional to instruct your children. I mean, let's, let's be honest about trained, trained professionals. Some of you guys teaching, y'all teach uh, your, your youth Sunday school class, and praise God, I mean, somebody's got to teach the youth boys Sunday school class, right? Middle school boys is the armpit of humanity, and thank you for your service, right? But I get it. I know that there are weeks where you set your alarm at 7 o'clock on Sunday because it's been a busy week and you got to cram that Sunday school prep in before you show up in time to teach them. Is this how we're defining an expert? No, let's just tell them thank you for their service and recognize that we're putting too much pressure on them. It's our job to disciple our kids in our homes. I think that we have abdicated our God-given responsibility to train our children in the ways of the Lord. After doing massive research, George Barner wrote, the overwhelming majority of Christian parents are not actively engaged in any sort of battle for their children's souls. What a sad statement. Timothy Paul Jones writes this, he says, the overwhelming majority of Christian parents are not actively engaged in any sort of battle for their children's soul. When it comes to the process of discipling their progeny, most Christian parents, especially fathers, have abandoned the field. This reminds me of a quote that I heard from that great theologian, Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> Sometimes I feel unqualified to be a parent. I call those times being awake. <laughs> You know, there's another reason, another challenge we've got to overcome, and that's just this. We don't want to be hypocrites. This takes us full circle back to where we began talking about how we must be leaders who will commit to loving God with our whole hearts. Part of what Ryan is going to lead you guys to do and your pastor are leading you to do is to consider what does it mean for you to have families that are rooted. Where, where do we go? Where, where do we even begin? And they're going to give you some, some, some tools. They're going to equip you so that you can begin. But let, let me just speak in general ways to where we begin. First of all, I, I just want to say this. If you haven't been leading your family spiritually, acknowledge your sin. And I don't think we should use a different word for this. It's not a mistake. It's not just simply an omission. It's sin. If we haven't been leading our, our families spiritually, acknowledge our sin. I think this is, this is the hardest part of the journey for many of us. Our pride often prevents us from acknowledging that what we're doing, and watch this, because we're parenting from our default mode, what our parents did. 
is sinful. That, it's hard to say that what I'm doing is sinful when it means that what my parents did was sinful. And so what I found is that most people won't say that at all. And I don't think you can really begin the journey until you do. If God doesn't convict us of our sin, we won't break free from old habits. It is by the conviction and the grace of God working through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can chart a new course for our families. Point number two, where do we begin? If you've made mistakes, and you have a lot of them, lean hard into grace. The promise of what you're going to hear next weekend, the challenge you're going to hear next weekend is the challenge of this sermon. It is not primarily with the intent of just trying to make you feel guilty. We don't want to kind of have a moralistic message. We want to have a gospel message that says, yes, God has called us to holiness. Yes, God has called us to holy standards. Yes, we have sinfully failed. But God's grace is sufficient to make up for our weaknesses. Lean hard into that grace that is enough to cover up when you've lost your temper, when you've said words that you cannot take back, when you've, when, when you've not disciplined, when you've disciplined too hardly, when, when you've been absentee, when you haven't loved your spouse the way you should have. Lean hard into the grace of God. It is enough to cover all of those sins. When we come to the Lord and we say, God, I, I, I need to trust you. I need to trust you to start this journey. We can be overwhelmed. The enemy will use guilt to overwhelm us so that we don't even take the first step. We have all failed in some degree in our parenting. Our challenge now is to pick ourselves up and by God's grace to advance in His purposes. Thirdly, I want to say to you, if you've missed opportunities, engage your family now. If you've missed opportunities, engage your family now. How many of you guys have ever watched the, the, the movie The Incredibles? Right? I know, I kind of look like Mr. Incredible before he got into shape, Right? <laughs> There's a, there's a particular scene in, 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 in that family movie where, where Bob, Mr. Incredible, has been approached by a shadowy figure trying to lure, lure him into some on-the-side superhero work. He's deep in thought about that, and they're at family dinner, and it's left overnights, and, and Dash is running around in circles, and Violet's doing her little... Her little uh, electrifying thing and the kids are going crazy and Elastigirl, her arms are stretched all over the table and she says, Bob! Bob! Engage Bob! That really is the call here. I think some of us are kind of chewing our leftovers at the table as life is happening around us. We need to engage. Engage our family. Listen, there is nothing you can do about yesterday. Yesterday is gone. 
And I have found that in my life and in most people's lives, one of the devil's most useful tools is delay. I I heard a pastor say it this way one time. He said, delayed obedience is disobedience. Now you think about that. Is that true? Hey, Jimmy, go take out the garbage. You go out the next day, the garbage has run, all your neighbor's garbage cans are empty, your garbage can sits by the house. You're like, okay, I need to address Jimmy when I get home. Come home, he's home from school, and your garbage can full is on the curb. Did Jimmy obey you? Well, I mean, he did take out the garbage. But it's delayed disobedience. It's delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. God calls us to obey him when he says, go. by the way, this is free parenting advice. That's why I strongly encourage families not to count. You know, hey, hey, Junior, I put your sister down. I told you not to throw your sister in the road. One, don't you make me count to two. Two, if I get three, it's going to be bad. Listen, you are not teaching him obedience. You're teaching him numbers. Right? And frankly, that is, that is anti-gospel. You say, What? How's that anti-gospel? Well, because God expects us to obey Him the moment He says it. Not when He counts to one or two or three. And you're teaching your children that authority figures can be delayed just as long as they don't reach whatever line it is. That's not how God works. So that's free. The, the, the mini sermon over. Back to the other sermon. If you've missed opportunities engaging your family, listen, I've had, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and they said, look, my kid's 15 years old. I realize how much I messed up. What do I do now? And here's what I'll tell them. Do what you can. When your child is young, your influence is big. When your child is older, your influence is smaller. And you can make a choice. You can be friends with your kids and raise them as adults. Or you can raise your kids and be friends with them when they're adults. And I just want to tell you, and this is true, your, 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 your ministry team, your elders will tell you this. God's grace can cover anything, but in general, the sweet spot, the sweet spot is, is from about 4 to 10. If they are not under control by the time they hit 10, you won't know it until they're 13, but you have lost them. People come to, come to us as pastors and they say, I've lost my 13-year-old. And I've known you for six years. You didn't lose your 13-year-old, you lost your 10-year-old. And you're just now figuring it out. Don't, don't say, well, I blew it. I can't do anything. Engage now. Engage now. And then finally, I want to say this. Spiritually nurturing your children begins with your own walk. I've said this numerous times tonight, this morning, on purpose. We have to focus on who we are spiritually to begin to focus on who we want our children to be spiritually. 
Let me give you a number. It's an important number. 965. Roughly, from birth to 18 years of age, that's how many weeks you've had. When we do this conference, Ryan, at, uh, at, at, at my church, when people do this, they come to it. We give them a bag of Skittles. It's 965 minus the age of their child. Every time I got mamas crying everywhere. They're like, oh, look how many Skittles I have left. There's so few. Bible says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days. You only have so much time. How are you investing it? How are you intentionally pouring into your kids? And so here's what I want to call you to do. I want to call you, and this may or may not be consistent with what's going to happen next weekend, but I want to call you to take a 30-day challenge because experts a whole lot smarter than me say that in 30 days we can, chat, we can change some behavioral patterns and develop some new habits. So I'm calling you, Fellowship Baptist Church, within the context of your own homes to consider would you do the following for the next 30 days? Would you commit to having a brief, daily, meaningful prayer time? I don't mean 20 minutes where you get together and you pray for the church's prayer list. If you've got a three-year-old, pray that God will let you pray for one minute. But get together and pray meaningfully. And I'm not just talking about praying over your dinner. Though you can do it at dinner. Just make your dinner prayer a little different. But daily. That means for 30 days, every day, you would say a brief prayer with as many people in your household under your roof as you can gather together for, for a moment. Number two, commit to worshiping God together each week. I, I want to I encourage you. Have, you. have your family in God's house on God's day. Worshiping the Lord together. Number three. Commit to opening God's word together three times a week. Now listen, this can be simple. This can be simple. It does not have to be complicated. Read a psalm. Read one chapter of Proverbs. Read like, you know how you have headings in the Gospels? You know, between, between little passages? Just read one chunk of those headings. You can do it at dinner time. You can do it at breakfast time. I don't care. You know the rhythm of your home. Three times a week. That's not that much. When we began to do this in my family, my son uh, today, who's a missionary, he's, a, he's an IMB missionary with Southern Baptist Convention serving in Spain. Uh, he was... He was about seven or eight years old. My, my daughter today, who's, she's actually in England, uh, studying abroad this, this, this fall, and she, uh, she was five years old, and then I had an infant. And I went to the Lifeway store when they used to have them. And I got, I got some, some of those $5 Bibles and brought them home. I think I got the New Living Translation. It's not my favorite translation, but it's easy for kids to read. And 
I brought it home, and I said, look, we're going to read our Bibles together just for a few minutes every night. And I gave everybody their own Bible. I had a purple one for my daughter and, a, and, and, and a, like a superhero one for my son. And then I, I opened up a, a pack of highlighters, and I said, okay, these are your highlighters. And you're allowed to highlight any verse that means anything to you, okay, when we read. And my son could read a little bit, my daughter not so much. My wife and I would take turns reading. And we would just, we would just try to engage them Literally for, for maybe four or five minutes. And, 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 and we do that. I still, it's funny, my daughter, my daughter would, uh, would you come and like her whole page would be yellow. I said, hey, Laura Beth, you're supposed to highlight the words, um, the, the, the words that, that mean the most to you. She said, Dad, it's the Bible. They all mean a lot to me. Okay, cool. I'm down with that. Just a few minutes. No, let's just be honest. What we're here talking about here is only just the beginning. Like this won't make your home a discipleship environment, but it's a start. But watch this. We're not doing any of that right now. Other than maybe worshiping together on Sundays. That start is where where do you start? You start where you are. Can I tell you another good way for you to start? Show up at the conference next weekend. These guys have worked hard to put it together. Show up at the conference and, and, and suck in some of the good stuff that they're going to be sharing about how you could do that. So here's how I want us to close today, okay? Um, could, the, could the worship team go ahead and make their way back up here? Um, and, and so here's, here's how I want us to close. I don't know how you typically close, so I'm just going to do it how I want to. I, I pray that God's word has spoken to your heart today. And I know that the things that, that, that I've shared, are they're counterintuitive to how we think about family. And so I, I want to ask you to do this. If, if you happen to be here and maybe you're sitting next to your spouse, we're going to sing a song of response in, in, in just a second, but I'm just going to ask these guys just to play a little bit. And, and, and I, want, I want to ask you to just pray together. To just take a second and pray together as a husband and wife, as a grandmother and a grandfather. And just pray that God would help you to be committed to leading your family spiritually. Now I want to ask you to just go ahead and do that right now. You can move around if you need to. Get, just, just lean over. Sir, put your arm around your wife. Whisper in her ear, ma'am, if your husband doesn't want to pray out loud, it's okay. You pray for him, okay? It's okay. Say, this guy's weird. I just want you to pray a simple prayer. God, help us to lead our family well. Confess the reality of where you are.
Father, would you begin a movement here at Fellowship Baptist Church that begins in the homes. I pray for mothers and fathers, Lord, who honestly, they know right now that for them to lead their, their, their family spiritually, they've got to deal with some of their own spiritual brokenness. And Lord, I pray that your grace would be enough to help them to confront that and that, Lord, you would move them forward on their own spiritual journey. God, I, I, pray, for, I pray for mothers and fathers who are dealing with the reality that they've got adult children that are very far from you. And God, I, I just pray that you would, you would help them to, to be a voice of truth and of grace in the days ahead. God, we pray for our children. The world wants them. The enemy wants them. And Lord, we will not let them go without a fight. And God, we, we know that, that you are great and you are good. And we know that your word says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And so, Father, we, we come to you and we ask that you would not only build your church, but, God, you would build our homes. And help us, Lord, help us to consistently and faithfully pour the gospel into the nooks and crannies of the rhythms of our households. That you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name.